God bless you. I hope you have your Bibles. We're going to open them up to Revelation 22. We're going to read verses 12 through 21. And the title of our message is the title of the song that the uh, choir sang, or we all sang a moment ago, Come, Lord Jesus, Revelation 22. We began this journey November the 14th, uh, 2014. So it's taken us almost two years, really more like a year and a half when you add in uh, holidays and vacations and different series and messages that I've preached. I've done this one other time in my life uh, when I was pastor in the Hampton Roads, Virginia area. It took us about a year and a half and preached through uh, the grand book of the Revelation, the Apocalypse, and what a great experience it was for us then. And I hope it's been encouraging. I hope it's been enlightening for you. I know it's been a journey, and as I said last week, I want to thank you. Thank you for your diligence. Uh, somebody was praying earlier today, thanking me for my diligence in studying and preaching. I want to thank you for your diligence in attending and listening, and I hope that you have been blessed and been encouraged as we've studied this, this amazing book. So I'm going to read Revelation 22, and then we'll begin our message here as we begin. And Jesus said, and behold, I am coming quickly, taku, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And thank you, choir, so much for that great song. I am the Alpha and the Omega. In English, we would say, I am A to Z. I am the beginning, and I am the end, the telos, the first, and the eschatos, the last. It's where we get the English word eschatology. It means the study of last things or last days. And Jesus said, I am all of that. I am as early as the alpha and the ending, as the omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last, and blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers. We have seen this word sorcery before, pharmakos, where we get this English word uh, pharmacy, pharmacology, and sexually immoral. Pornos is the word there. It's where we get the word pornography. But the, those who are outside, the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie, you notice verse 15, they are on the outside looking in. But I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the lampros, where we get the word lamp. I am the bright and the morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him here who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, that if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anybody takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And then finally, verses 20 and 21, they say, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Again, the Greek word taku, a good translation with that would be certainly. Surely I am coming, certainly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that 
You have preserved it. You wrote it. You have preserved it. You've granted it to us. Lord, not just for our mere education and study, but God, You have preserved Your Word so that we would not only read it, but also understand it and apply it to our lives. God, I pray today that we would not be hearers of the Word only, but we would be doers, practitioners of the Word of God. Lord, I pray that You'd speak to us today. God, I pray that You'd speak uh, clearly. I pray there would be no There would be no hesitancy, Lord, for us to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, I pray for those that know you, that are awaiting your return, that you would bless them. That, God, you'd encourage them today. Let them know, Lord, that they're on the winning team, that, God, you are sovereign, the creator, the consummator, the king, the preeminent one, one grand, great, awesome, glorious day. God, you will come. You will come again and set up your kingdom, and we are looking forward to that day. And God, I do pray for those that don't know you, that don't have a relationship with you. Lord, they're on the outside looking in. I pray that today they would come on in, and they would hear that that wonderful word of invitation in verse 17, to come, to come, and to come. So Lord, speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. R.G. Lee was the great pastor of the Bellevue Baptist Church. There was a Bellevue Baptist Church before Steve Gaines and Adrian Rogers, and R.G. Lee was the, arguably one of the greatest preachers that the Southern Baptist Convention had ever produced. R.G. Lee preached his famous sermon, Payday Someday, preached it two, three hundred times. The uh, first time he preached it, I understand, it lasted about 30 to 45 minutes. The last time he preached it, he preached it an hour and 45 minutes. You think you've got it bad, amen? <laughs> you know, yeah, 45 minutes, an hour and 45 minutes. But R.G. Lee tells the true story of when he was uh, a man, he was sitting on a porch with his elderly mom. He looked at his mom's hands, and he noticed that her hands were very worn and calloused, and he could see on her face, she was just, you could see a, a tiredness on her face. And he said, Mom, tell me about the happiest day of your life. Tell me about the happiest day of your life. And R.G. Lee thought that she would say something about you know, when she met her husband, his father, and when they fell in love, or maybe when he asked her to marry her, or maybe it was in that little farmhouse, a little bitty place there in the corner of the room where the preacher came, and they, they got married, said their vows, and those vows lasted for over 50 years until he went to heaven, but she didn't say any of those things. She looked at her preacher's son, and she said, son, you've asked me a very hard thing. You see, when the men went off to war, the War of the States, that's what it's also called the Civil War, she said that was a very difficult time. We got our salt from the smokehouse floor, we got our tea from leaves, and we got our coffee from corn. It was a very difficult time for our family. Our family received the most difficult word of all, though, that our father, our dad, had been killed in the war. Before he died, my mom never cried, but every night I would listen to my mom sob, her head in the pillow, sobbing the death. One day my mom was sitting on a porch very much like this, and I was sitting at her feet very much like you're sitting at my feet right now. She had a bowl of beans in her lap. And she was snapping those beans. Anybody remember those days when you sat on the porch and you snapped the green beans and so forth? And she said, um, as she was sitting there snapping those beans, a figure 
in the distance started walking toward our home. And she said, Elizabeth, she said, honey, she said, that man walks just like your dad. And Elizabeth said, well, mom, you know that's not dad. It's impossible because he died in, you know, the Civil War. He's, he's dead. And she said, yes. And she, she went back to snapping her beans. She looked back up. She said, wait a minute. That man looks just like your dad walking towards us. And she said, honey, that is your dad. And she took those beans and she threw them up in the air. She grabbed her skirt and she took off to the cotton field. And sure enough, it was him. You see, back then, before telephones and internet and so forth, the lines of communication broke down. And the communication that got back to her was that he was dead, but he wasn't dead. He had only lost his arm in the battle in the Civil War. And she said, my mom grabbed my husband, my dad, and they embraced. And she said, I ran my finger up his, his sleeve, and I grabbed that nub. And, and she said, I looked at him, and she said, son, that was the happiest day of my life, to know that my dad, who I thought was dead, was very much alive. And R.G. Lee, when he told that story, he said these words. He said, that day will pale into comparison to the day. When the day of all days, when Jesus Christ will come again. And all of our hopes, and all of our dreams, and all of our labor, and all of our patience, and all of our preaching, and all of our trials, and all that we have given to the Lord, all of that will be great and awesome when we see Him when He comes for uh, His bride, the church. Today what we're going to look at is this passage of Scripture. I'm, I'm very excited about it, very encouraged to be able to preach it because you know, we, we have gone through some, some days of, of, tr of trumpets and seals and bowls and judgment. We've gone through some hard times, and, and I appreciate that, though, about the Bible. Because when I study those hard times and these difficult times, it makes me appreciate even more the good times and the winning days. You know, it's kind of like a football team. When you lose and you lose and you lose, those times when you win, and Texas will win again. I, I just believe it's... I just believe it's God's will that we, we will win again. It'll make, us, uh, it'll make us appreciate all the more the hard times, the lean days. And that's one of the problems I have with, with preaching today is if we never preach the hard text, how in the world are we ever going to appreciate the good, the good, the encouraging, the momentous crescendo text? So today I want to begin with a word of identification. We're going to identify these key personalities in the text, and that would be Jesus Christ. Number two, that would be the believers or the church. And number three, that would be the unbelievers. So we'll look at this threefold identification. And then next we're going to take a few minutes and look at verse 17, which is a wonderful word of invitation. It's an invite for all to come, the threefold mandate and invitation to come, come, and come, the invitation of the Scriptures. And then we're going to look at this word of indictment. There's a strong word there in verses 18 and 19. And then finally, we'll look at this word of this eminence, the eminence of the return of Christ. Not, not necessarily the immediacy, like He's about to come, you know, like right now. He could, but really the, the authors of the Scriptures, they want us to live with the sense of eminence that at any moment Christ could come again. When Jesus came the first time, born in the manger, born in Bethlehem, the advent of Christ, that is His first coming. And when He comes again the second time, 
And all the time in between, the Scriptures look upon these days as last days, the eschaton. So really, and when you think about eternity, this is just a small, brief period of time, His first coming, and when He comes again. And look at us. We are all, I think we are right in here. I think we are at the very end, the eschaton, when Jesus Christ comes again. Well, let's look, number one, at the word of identity. He identifies Himself in verse 12. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone. Jesus said, I am coming. I am coming again. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. Because I who have left you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Now again, that word taku, it's used frequently. It's used in verse 12. It's used in verse 6. It's used in verse 7. And, and I believe a good translation of the word would be certainly. I am coming again with absolute, unambiguous, unequivocal certainty that I am coming again. And when He comes, and when these movements of the eschaton begin, they will come with great successive rapidity. They're coming, they will move quickly, and Jesus says, behold, I am coming. He identifies Himself here as I am. And in verse 13 He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the A to the Z, as we said a moment ago, the beginning and the telos. The telos is that word of purpose and that word of consummation, that, that word of, of concluding the climactic events. Jesus is beginning and He is the end. And then He says in verse 13, He says, I am the first and I am the last. In other words, it all centers around Him. He started everything. He will close everything as we know it is time here on earth. It reminds me of Philippians 1 verse 6 where it says, being confident that we can have confidence of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day, until the day when He returns. So we can be confident of this, that He is the beginning and the end. We can be confident in the promises of God. When God tells us He's going to do something, then we very well know He is going to do it. He makes us a promise. He says, I, Jesus, will come again because of who I am, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the A to Z. And really, guys, it's not braggadocious. It's not, certainly not being arrogant. It's just stating a fact that Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. He is the awesome one, and He is making us a promise. Even as I have created everything and died for everything, I will one day come again and conclude everything. And that's what the Lord says in His Word in verse 13. Now, I want you to skip to verse 16 because we're still identifying, given these key indicators of who Jesus is. Verse 16, I, Jesus. Interesting. It's the only time you'll read those words in the New Testament. Jesus in verse 16 of Revelation 22 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to these things in the churches. Now, remember, in Revelation chapter 1, uh, Jesus, He appears in, in, in His regality, and His royalty, and His preeminence. There He appears to John in those eyes of flame of fire, and the, and the wool like a hair on top of His head, and His feet like fine brass. And He appears to John, and He gives John this message for the seven churches of Asia Minor. Remember that, chapters 2 and 3. And Jesus closes out Revelation, thinking about those churches. He is saying to John, He says, I've sent my angel to testify to these things in the churches. And John, he faithfully received the revelation from the angel of the Lord, and he writes it down, 
and somehow, by way of transmission, he gets this message to those seven angelos, or those messengers of the churches there in Asia Minor. They take it, they copy it down, and look at here we go. All through these succeeding generations, and here we are. We received the very thing that John recorded there on the island of Patmos around AD 95, and isn't it a miracle that we've got precisely what God wanted us to have in His written Word? And that's the beauty and the benefit, one of the benefits of Christianity, that the God who created everything and the God who raised His Son from the dead, surely that God can write a book, and He did, and He's preserved it for us. And this is one of my favorite parts here in the identification of our Lord when He says, I am the root and I am also the offspring of David. Remember in Matthew chapter 22, verse 45, when Jesus asked the scribes and the Pharisees, they said, how can David say that the Messiah is His Lord and also His Son? You remember that? And the scribes and the Pharisees, man, they looked at one another and they said, I don't know, what, what is this a conundrum? What, what is the answer to this? How can the Messiah be both His Lord who precedes Him, and yet He is His Son who succeeds Him? And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 22, it says, and they could not answer Him, and they dare not. It said, nobody asked Him another question. They just closed it down because they were absolutely confounded. But what Jesus was saying to them in the Gospels is what He is saying to us here in the apocalypse, that He is the root of David. Before David, He was the second person of the Godhead. The second person of the Godhead is the Son, the eternal Son of God. And so in that way, He not only preceded David, but He created David. And yet in the incarnation, when the preeminent Son of God took upon flesh, yes, we celebrate that as Christmas, the Christ child, has been born, and He, the glory, the pearl, the precious treasure of heaven Himself, He comes and He places Himself in the placenta of, a, of Mary, and then He is born in the lineage, in the genealogy, in the offspring of David. And so He says, I created Him, and yet here I am in His posterity. Wow, that's Him. That's Jesus. That's miraculous that He who could create David is also His Lord and His Son. And He tells us this here, I am the root and the offspring of David, and then He identifies Himself this way. He says, I am the lampos, lampos, where we get lamp. I am the bright, He says, and the morning star. The word bright here, it has the connotation, as you can imagine, of brilliance, of shining. Morning star is the first star of a new day. It announces a brand new day. And when I read that for, I don't know how many times I've read over this this week, and just thought about and contemplated, what did Jesus really mean when He said, John, I am the bright and brilliant star. I am the morning star. And this is what I took away from this church, and I hope this encourages you. That I am the one who breaks the domain of darkness. When I am on the scene, there is brilliance, there is light. When I come into a darkened room, I light it up. I eradicate, dispel darkness. When I come into a person's life, I take away their darkness, their sin, their guilt, and their shame. And when I come into their life, there's hope, 
There is joy. There is radiance. When I come to a broken marriage, and that marriage has been decimated by infidelity, and that marriage has been nearly destroyed by verbal abuse and emotional abuse or even physical abuse, I come into that marriage, and I make it well. I perform a miracle. And when somebody dies, and there's mourning, and there's grief, and there's hurt, and there's pain, and there's sadness, and I come into the room, woo! I brighten it up. I eradicate the darkness. You see, John, that's who I am. I'm the one and the only one who dispels darkness. And if you walk in darkness and you meet me, then I change it all. I eradicate it. I open up your eyes and you can see. That's who I am, John. I'm the bright, the morning star. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That Jesus who died and rose from the dead is the same Jesus by His Spirit illuminates us, pulls off the shackles from our face. And, and, and if we only believe, if we trust in Him, we lay aside our pride and our ambitions and our knowledge, and we say, God, open my eyes. Let, let me see. And then it happens that metamorphosis, that transformation of a human mind that's dark and dead in sin. And by the Spirit of God, we see He's bright, shining star. The next word of identification in verse 14 is the believers. It says, blessed are those, and a better translation in manuscripts, better manuscripts should read, I am, blessed are those who have washed their robes. It says, blessed are those who do His commandments. Blessed are those who have washed their robes. Let's talk about that for just a minute. The Bible says that all of us have robes, or we have clothing, spiritually speaking. And all of our clothing is tainted and it's stained by sin because all of us are sinners, and we've all done things, said things, thought things, committed things. We did some things we shouldn't, or we did not do the things that we should. You get my point? We're sinners, and we're stained. and, and but there is an agency, there is a divine detergent, if you will, that can take the stain of our sin and it can wash it and make us clean and make us white. And, and Jesus says, blessed are you who have taken your sin-dark stained robes and you've dipped them in my blood and they now are shining, brilliant, bright, and white. I love this text in Isaiah when it says, but we, all of us, are an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. I want you to look at that for just a minute. All of our good deeds, because we're still tainted with that Adamic nature, that Adam and Eve sin nature that's birthed within us, and we have it, all of us have it. We're all born that way. Only Jesus wasn't born that way because He did not have that earthly Father. He was placed in Mary's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit, so he never took upon that Adamic Romans chapter 5 nature. He didn't have it, but you have it. Does anybody want to argue with me about this? Does, would anybody say, I don't have the Adamic nature because I'm as precious and sinless as the driven snow? You can't say that. I can't say that. 
All of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags, and we fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, watch this, our iniquities like the wind have taken us away, but we're blessed now. Blessed, this final beatitude, this final makarios, blessed are those whose robes have been washed. Praise God. Our robes, our body, our souls have been cleansed. And then he says in verse 14 that, and, may, and they may have the right to the tree of life. We talked about that last week. And may enter through the gates. We talked about that two weeks ago, the gates into the city. And we have access into the streets of gold. We go through the pearly gates because we have an imputed righteousness. We don't have a righteousness of our own, but we have an imputed righteousness. We have been made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us on the cross, and when we believed in Him, He became our propitiation. He, he took upon Himself the holy wrath of God poured out on mankind. Jesus takes it upon Himself on the cross, and He bears it so that you and I could have a righteousness imputed to us so that when God looks at us, He looks at us through the blood of the cross of His Son, Jesus, and He sees us as cleansed because we have a righteousness that's not of our own. We could not do that on our own. I know this. I tried to do this. I tried to pursue righteousness and holiness though I wasn't even a Christian. And I want to tell you something, that is a futile way to go. Because no matter how hard I tried, no matter how many sermons I preached, or how many good deeds I did, I was always left with this sense of emptiness, this sense of sinfulness until that great glorious day when God says, you got it all wrong, fella. Here's what you need to do. You need to embrace me. Embrace what I did for you. It'll set you free. It'll really cleanse you. Ooh, it'll give you a spiritual bath that you never had before, and you will be clean. And here I stand today, I'm clean. I have no guilt. I have a freedom. I have a conscience that's been clean, and I stand before God cleansed. And that day when He appears, or that day when I die, and I enter into His presence, I will go into His presence, not on my merit, not on my righteousness, but on the righteousness of Christ, His righteousness imputed to me. And then finally, the word of identification for the unbelievers. Verse 15 says, but outside are dogs. Now, you got to understand in verse 15 that all these other words, we've looked at them, Revelation 21.8, has all of those descriptions except one, and it's dogs. Now, when the Bible talks about dogs, it's not, it's not a compliment, okay? It usually has the connotation of sexual immorality, like a dog would just hook up with another dog. You know what I'm saying? And they do what dogs do. They, they're not married or anything. They just, hey, dog, let's cohabitate and let's have other dogs, puppy dogs. And, that's, and it's just that sense of morality. Dogs don't have morality. They're just like, what? You know, give me some food. Squirrel, whoo. Give me, give me another person or another dog to be with. And that's just that sense. And when the Scripture says dogs, it's not talking about our pets. It, it's a scavenging a mongrel. It's a, it, it has that connotation of, of immoral person who has no sense of ethics and right and wrong. It's like an animal, okay? 
And those, the Bible says, are outside, they're looking at, and here's why, don't miss this. The reason why those on the outside in the lake of fire are looking on the inside, and remember Father Abraham, and remember Lazarus, and they're like, oh man, the rich man was like, oh please, just, just let me get out of this place, but he can't because he's separated. And the reason they're in hell is because they're still clothed in their garments. All of us are born with garments. We all have this clothing. Until that day when we strip these dirty clothing off through repentance and faith, and Jesus Christ comes into us and makes us righteous, then until that time, we're no better than dogs in morality. And, and really the Scriptures, it has that connotation when you say like Deuteronomy 23, 18. Some believe it also has the connotation even of homosexuality. That's one commentary I read this past week. It has that kind of connotation. And so it's descriptive that, we, that the identification of the key personalities, Jesus, believers, and unbelievers. And by the way, you're, you're one of three. Well, you know you're not Jesus. So that puts you in the category of either a believer or an unbeliever, okay? And we let the Spirit of God reveal to you which one you are. And if you're a believer, then rejoice and know that this great day is coming, and maybe it's coming soon. And if you're an unbeliever, may this, may this grip your heart, and may this grip your soul, and may you say, that is me, and I know I am unrighteous, and I know I act like a dog sometimes in my morality, and may this convict you, and may it draw you to the cross, and may you say, oh God, please have mercy on me, and forgive me, oh God. And God says, I will. All you got to do is ask me, and I will cleanse you, and I will forgive you. But if you die, and you don't do that, you go to hell, and you know what? You have nobody to blame but yourself, because you said, no, Jesus, no, God, no Holy Spirit. I want to do it like I want to do it. And then when you die, it's, it's too late, and you're on the outside looking. And here's the thing. When that day comes, people think, oh, well, that day's not going to come. But if it comes, then... Here's what I'll do. I'll cast myself on the mercy of God, but there will be no mercy that day. The day of mercy is now. The day of mercy is now. Be forgiven. Be cleansed. Be, be united in Christ and be a part of the bride. Be a part of the, the church and, and walk in holiness and walk in righteousness. Walk in pursuit of Him. Yes, you, you'll fall. Yes, you'll bump your spiritual toe. Yes, you'll fall down. You'll get back up, but at least you're on the journey. Some of you need to get on the journey. Even today, come to faith in Christ today. Take off those robes of unrighteousness and filthiness and put on the precious robe of Christ, the imputed righteousness of Jesus. So that's point number one, identification. Now we got to go fast. Point number two is invitation. In verse 17 it says, and the Spirit and the bride, they say come. Don't you notice three times in verse 17, it's this this intense, all, all three of them are present active imperatives. They're present tense ongoing, the active voice in the language of command. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the bride, the church of God, they say, come. And everybody else who hears, that's pretty inclusive. That's all the angelic beings, all the redeemed of humanity, Almighty God Himself. It's like they are shouting from the heavens, come, come, come now. Don't wait. 
until you die, because when you die, it's over. It's too late. Come, come, come. It's like the Spirit of God, the church of God, and all the hosts of heaven are, are giving us the mandate, come on, come, come. And then it says, and let anybody, everybody who is thirsty spiritually, come, whoever desires, and let him take the water of life freely. What an invitation. Well, what, you know, it, it doesn't say first clean up your act and then come, or first if you're only, you know, in church or trying to do right, or if you're this or that. No, no, no. It just says come. Now listen, I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I believe in the election and the predestination. I believe in all of that. I believe that God knows everything, and God offers salvation to everybody. And God knows who's going to say yes. God knows who's going to say no. So I just tell everybody, I just tell everybody, I don't know whether, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know if you're going to say yes. I don't know if you're going to say no, but God knows that's not, listen, that's way above my pay grade. I I don't understand all that. I just say God tells me to tell everybody, and He loves everybody, and anybody that wants to be saved can be saved. You just got to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and say, God, have mercy on me and be saved. And guess what? You're one of the elect. (laughs) You've been predestined. But if you say no, you say no. That is a powerful invitation. I've just given you my, my belief on that subject in a nutshell. It's enough to please the Calvinists, it's enough to please the Arminians, it's enough to make them mad. It's fun, you know, it's just, I have that gift, by the way. Next is a word of indictment. I'll go quickly. Verses 18 and 19, there's a word of indictment here. The word is I testify to you, and whoever hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if you add to it, God's going to add to you the plagues in this book. Hello. Have y'all read this book with me? Y'all seen some of these plagues? You seen some of this judgment? Mary Baker Eddy, Joseph Smith, Muhammad, have you read this? If you add to this book, God judges you. He sends plagues on you, and you die in a devil's hell, and you're in torment forever and ever and ever, because you added to His Word. But if you take away from it, look at this, and if you take away from this book, God says, I'm going to take away your part in the book of life, the holy city, the things which are written in this book. Here's here's the way I, I look at this. If I do that. If I say, this is not really God's Word, and by the way, the book of Revelation, this is the canon of Scripture, it's closed. The apostles are dead. The associates of the apostles are dead. They're the ones that wrote this book, okay? Joseph Smith, you're not an apostle, and you, you, you certainly are not one of the original apostles and, or associate of the apostle, like Luke, who wrote a whole bunch of the Scriptures. He was an associate of Paul. Now, if you add to it, Here's what it reveals. It reveals to you that your name was never written in the book of life in the first place. Well, Brother Dan, I don't know. You've consigned Muhammad to hell and Joseph Smith's in hell. Who else is in hell? Anybody else that adds to this book or takes away from this book? That's what God said. I'm not the arbitrator. I'm not the debater of it. I'm just the proclaimer of it, the preacher of it. The indictment is given by God. God gives this word of indictment on you and on me. 
And I've got lots of scriptures to support that. I even got some great quotes that I've studied and I've included for you there. Happy Thanksgiving. You can read it, all right? The last thing is that the eminence. Verse 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming quickly. When John, Paul, James, they all believe this. They all believe that Jesus is coming at any moment. 2,000 years, 1,900 years have passed, and here we are. He hasn't come yet. Is the Bible wrong? No. Is it immediacy? No. It's imminence. You see, God wants us to live as if at any moment He will come. And I'm finding that's a great way to live. It keeps me close to the Lord. It keeps me close to His Word. Because he who died and arose from the dead said, I will come again. And then John, look what John says. He says, amen. He said, amen. Even so. He says, come, Lord Jesus. And then verse 21. It's this final word where it says, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And 2 Peter Chapter 3, there's a word for us, and I want to I close with this word. Second Peter says there's going to be a time, and I think it is these times. There's going to be scoffers who will come in the last days. They'll walk according to their own lust, and they will say, well, where is he? <laughs> it's been 2,000 years. Where's your Jesus? Hello? Where is he? He ain't coming. Look, since the fathers fell asleep, all things are the same. They continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Jesus is not coming again. There's not going to be some big retribution. There's not going to be some big accountability, you know, big judgment day. Just live like you want to live. Do what you want to do. If there is a God, I'll give you that. Maybe, maybe if there is, it'll be okay because he'll just be forgiven and he'll forgive us all of our sins at that day. And it's all right. Just live like you want to live. Do what you want to do. And that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel is you can't do what you want to do. You got to do what he wants you to do. What's so hard about that? What's so hard to understand about that? And really, that bondage leads to a liberty, to a freedom to really live the way He wants us to live. May the grace of Jesus be with you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, is life to our bones. It is medicine to our flesh. It keeps us out of the gutters of life, Lord. It keeps us on the straight and the narrow. And it makes us very unpopular. God, your gospel is a gospel of good news to those who are being saved. 
But to those who are perishing, it is ridicule, it is scoffing, it is scandalous. So, Lord, as we finish this series of messages, Lord, and we just finish with a time of invitation, an invitation to all. For the follower of Christ to draw near unto Him and be faithful, surely He said, I'm coming. Don't doubt, don't worry, don't fear. <laughs> Have no fear, because I who live within you will keep you. He who begun a good work in you will assuredly keep it until the very end. And yet those that don't know Him, come to faith in Him. Repent, believe, surrender your life today while there is breath in your lungs. Give Him your life today. Can I implore you to do that? Could I beg you to do that today? Don't delay. Like precious Gloria did last week, she came down the aisle and took us by the hand, and she said, I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Christ. And there she was, baptized today. Why don't you do that? Oh, I, I couldn't do that. I, I'm, uh, well, I'm an adult, and you see, I'm very educated. And So what? So what? You're, you're an adult. God's allowed you to live. You're educated. Whoop-de-doo. You've got a brain. Hallelujah. Jesus loves you. Repent of your sins. Believe on Him today. Oh, in Jesus' name, today, give Him your life. Surrender your life to Him. Friend, this, this might be the last chance you ever get. This may be the last sermon I ever preach, and I want to preach it as if it were my last sermon to implore you, to beg those of you that are listening on TV, on the internet, and in this very sanctuary, to may this day be the day of salvation, eternal life, and forgiveness. Receive Him today. Lord, I pray for our church. Thank you that you're a God of your Word. In 1-7-21-3 and 22-7, you said, preach this book, live this book, believe this book, and I'm going to bless you. So, Lord... We want your blessings. And whatever those blessings are, God, we receive it. And we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Terry, lead us in our song of invitation as we stand. As we invite you, we welcome you to come. Even so, come now and receive Christ as your King today. <laughs>